The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, and verse 1, we read this. And when they came nigh to Jerusalem, under Bethphage, unto Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never man sat. Loose him, and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met, and they loose him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye loosing the colt? And they said unto, him, unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked round about upon all things, and now the eventide, eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. In this account, we see the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. We see quite a few things, actually, uh, that I want to talk about tonight, Lord being my helper. But one of the first things I want us to think about just briefly is that there is nothing in the Scripture that is written down to take up space. Every reference to whatever it may be in the Scripture, every line, every precept is there for a reason. Here in this passage, there are several clear references to the upcoming work of Christ. Of Christ, There's almost always, by the way, some symbolism in the things that Christ did while he was here. And as I said, there's nothing in the Bible just to take up space. Here in this passage, we see Jesus riding the colt into Jerusalem. What we sometimes call the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It was a time of great joy. It was a time of great celebration. The people who were there obviously believed that he was somebody. He was somebody important. Back over in Matthew, the 21st chapter, we read an account of this, and we won't read the whole account, but I want you to notice that, uh, that as, as he was coming into, into Jerusalem, it said in verse 8, of Matthew 21, a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. And it says in verse 9, the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Now, I don't know that every single one of the members of this crowd understood exactly who he was. Some of them may have just been caught up into the, in the excitement. But I believe there were many there that were his true disciples and knew who he was, and they, they laid out a path for him into Jerusalem. But it's interesting, is it not, that he says to them, this is how I'm coming into Jerusalem. 
I want you to go in there, he tells his disciples, and as soon as you go into the village, into the place where he was at the time, not Jerusalem, but the place where he was coming from, you're going to find a little colt tied there. A colt tied. And whereon never man sat. We're told in Matthew, and I believe in Luke as well, that this was, that the, in, in Matthew it tells us that this little colt uh, was, was tied. It says in verse 2 of Matthew 21, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. Now, I'll probably use the word donkey to refer to this, this little uh, animal. It's called an ass in the scriptures, and we still use that term some today to refer to that type of animal. I'll, I'll probably use them interchangeably, so let's go ahead and get that out of the way. That that's, uh, uh, there, what we're referring to here is a little donkey, what we would know today as a donkey. And this little, this little colt that he's going to ride into Jerusalem, I believe it carries some very significant meaning. Very significant meaning. And I want to talk about that this morning or this evening. First of all, we see that this little colt was tied up there with his mother, as we've already pointed out to you. Now, this is important. As I said, nothing's put in the Scripture just to take up space. First of all, it was an important prophetic fulfillment. It was, a, it was important that this was not just any kind of animal. It's important that it wasn't uh, a horse or a mule. It's important that it was, it was a, a little um, colt who was the foal of an ass. And, and that's important because over 500 years before this time and when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, over 500 years earlier, the prophet Zechariah prophesied this very event. In Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, we read this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. It was important that this was a little donkey. It was important that this animal was what it was. You know, Jesus could have come riding on a great war horse, and one day he will, he will according to Revelation. Yeah, that would have been impressive, wouldn't it? That would have been kind of amazing, in fact, if he came riding in on a steed at the head of an army, you see. That, he would have been, a lot of folks would have set up and take, taken notice that didn't. But not Jesus. You know, think about, have you ever seen anybody riding a donkey? Uh, an adult, I mean, a grown person. Somebody that's of normal height, say, you know, six feet tall. I don't know how tall Jesus was, but he was probably, according to what we read in the Scripture, he's about average, you know, 5'10", 5'11", 6 feet, something like that. Do you know how, how funny that looks? <laughs> it doesn't look, you know, it's, it's almost a mismatch to have a, a, a grown person riding on a little donkey. And this wasn't a, this wasn't a full grown animal either. This was, a, uh, this was a, uh, an animal that was a colt whose mother was there. He apparently was still with his mother. Now that doesn't mean he was a little bitty, you know, little bitty horse or a little bitty animal. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, it, it means though that he was capable of carrying a full grown man. But can you imagine how that looked as compared to someone 
who, who may be dressed up in armor, uh, the, all the regalia of the Roman Empire. You think about the centurions that had paraded through that street. Think about the centurions who had come down the main street there of Jerusalem and, and paraded. They did that. They, you know, they were impressive. The cavalry of Rome was impressive. Uh, they were uh, decked out in all kinds of armor and plumes and, and colors. And, and they would come riding in with a view toward impressing the people that they had subjugated so that they wouldn't rebel against them. But that's not what Jesus was prophesied to do. He came riding into town upon an ass, upon a colt, the foal of an ass. And what a fulfillment that was. What a fulfillment of prophecy. It was important. It was an important prophetic fulfillment. I'm not going to go back over there, but sometime I encourage you to go back to Daniel, the ninth chapter, and read again what we talked about some weeks or months ago about the 70 weeks of years of Daniel's prophecy. You know, Daniel... Uh, hundreds of years, hundreds of years before, about, about 450 to 500 years before this time, Daniel prophesied the exact date that he was to go marching into Jerusalem. Now, I don't know that we can ever figure out the exact date uh, because our calendars aren't the same anymore. But at the time, they could figure out exactly when Jesus was coming in. There was a man named Sir Robert Anderson uh, who was Scottish, if I remember right. And he, several, many, many years ago, he calculated uh, those dates as follows. The, if you remember, it was to be 483 years after the decree was issued by Artaxerxes for the Jews to go back. That's when Jesus was to come into Jerusalem. And according to his calculations, that decree by Artaxerxes went out on March 28, 445 B.C., which would put this date, April 6, 32 A.D., that Jesus came marching or riding into Jerusalem on this little colt. Now, I don't know that those are exactly right. I, they're probably not, to be honest with you, because I don't think we've got access to the calendars in the accurate way that they would have had back then. But let me tell you, the Jews of that day would have known or should have known uh, what was going on because that prophecy was not something that was unfamiliar to them. Daniel's prophecy was very familiar to them. And in fact, there's another prophetic fulfillment that occurred here found in Psalm the 118th chapter. We're all familiar with this verse, I'm sure, in Psalm 118 and verse 22. The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. We know by that that it's referring to Christ. This Psalm 118 is a messianic psalm, a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ coming. So listen to what happens. Listen to the verses that follow this in Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Let me just stop there and say, every day is a day the Lord has made. I understand that. Every day is something we should rejoice and be glad in because it's a gift from God. But this day that he's talking about right here is a special day. This is, a, uh, this is a prophetic day. It's the day when the Lord Jesus Christ would come bringing salvation with Him, bringing redemption with Him. He would come by way of Jerusalem and ultimately cavalry, Calvary to, uh, uh, to die for the sins of His people. 
And notice as we continue reading here in uh, Psalm 118, verse 25, Save now, I beseech thee, O, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. This psalmist is praying for prosperity here. The psalmist is asking God for salvation. And he said in verse 26, Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. What's happening right here? Blessed is he that cometh. In the name of the Lord, as Jesus rides this little foal, this little colt into Jerusalem, according to Zechariah's prophecy, he's also fulfilling what the psalmist wrote as they stood around and they began to cry out, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Fulfilled here in Mark chapter 11. But there's more than just prophetic fulfillment here. There's also a very important gospel symbolism, I believe. A very important gospel symbolism. Remember, remember Matthew 21, verse 2. He pointed out that this little foal, this colt, was there with its mother. Now that certainly fulfilled Zechariah 9, 9. But notice what else it tells us. It reminds us, rather. Now we, we would know just by looking at this little, little colt that it had a mother. But he's tied there with his mother and, and, and reminding us that... This little colt and his mother shared the same nature. He shared the same nature. This was a this was a colt. This was the foal of an ass. This was a foal of a donkey. This was a little colt, and he was a donkey just like his mother. Same nature, right? You know what David said in the fifty-first Psalm, about verse five. He said, "Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin." Did my mother conceive me? Now, he's not referring to the, the act of conception within, a, within a, a godly marriage as being sinful. What he's saying is, is that, that no matter what else you can think about me, I am a sinner just like my mom. My mother conceived me and I was a sinner when I was conceived. I was a sinner when I was brought forth. I have been a sinner all of my life. David says, my nature is just like my parents' nature. I was born in sin. You know, we often inherit, inherit characteristics of our parents anyway, don't we? We often say that, oh, he looks like his mother or, or you know, she has the same personality as her father or, or whatever there may be. There's a lot of characteristics we inherit from our parents, but there's one that we always get. And that's the sin nature. That's the sin nature. You see, this little colt was just like his mother. It was a donkey with a donkey's nature. Kind of reminds you of the condition we're in, doesn't it? Kind of makes you think about the fact that just like that little donkey, we've inherited the nature of our parents. There's a lot of there's a lot in the scriptures um, that links Christ to an ass's colt. There, there's, it's kind of funny, isn't it, that, that if you go back and look through, through the scriptures, the Old Testament, there's this idea of Jesus linked to this, kind of, this little colt, this, um, this little donkey has been around for a long time. Not just some 500 years earlier when Zechariah was prophesying, but also about 
1,700 years earlier. Over in the book of Genesis, in the 49th chapter, we read a prophecy there made by Jacob as he's blessing his sons. It also links the king of Zion, the king of glory, the, king of, the future king of Israel, to this little, this little animal as well. Now listen to this. In Genesis 49, in verse 10, here is, here is uh, Jacob blessing his sons. And this particular one that he's focusing on is Judah. Judah, as you know, would be the lineage through which Christ would come. It would be the kingly line. It's where David, the true legitimate king of Israel, the first king of Israel that God really uh, uh, blessed, I'll put it that way, he was, the, uh, uh, he was of the lineage of Judah. And notice what it says in verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Notice what he says. He's, he's given, now they didn't have a king at this point, but, but Jacob is prophesying the future. He's saying there will be a king one day and, and it will be of the line of Judah. And by the way, there will not be uh, any break in that line until a certain point comes. And what point is that? It's the point where Shiloh comes. Shiloh is an Old Testament name for Christ. It literally means in peace embodied, the embodiment of peace. And Shiloh, when Shiloh comes, that will be the end of the kingly line. You know why that is? Not because there won't be any more kings. It's because he will be the only king ever needed after that. <laughs> he will be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And the truth of the matter is, there was no more king after Christ. Shiloh came. Jesus came, you see. Now listen to verse 11, still referring to Shiloh. Binding his foal unto the vine and his ass's colt unto the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. This prophecy here, this prophecy links Jesus to this very foal, this, this little colt that he's to ride into Jerusalem on. Over in Job, the 11th chapter and the 12th verse, he said, for vain man would be wise, though man be born like a wild ass's colt. Man is like that wild donkey. Okay? He likens man to the wild ass's colt. Over in the book of Exodus, as, as Moses is giving out some very stringent laws about redemption of, of, uh, of, of the firstborn. And by the way, the firstborn was always the Lord's. With verse 11, It shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites, as he swear unto thee and to thy fathers, and shall give it thee, that thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix, every firstling that cometh of a beast which thou hast, the males shall be the Lord's. He included, he included uh, men in that. He included the firstborn sons in that. But, but you'll find if you read elsewhere that he said the Levites were to be uh, in place of a sacrifice. In other words, you don't have to sacrifice your firstborn son. You don't have to put him to death. But everything else you had to, uh, had to either sacrifice or redeem. But notice he points out specifically something about the little donkey here. He said in verse 13, And every firstling of an ass shalt thou redeem with a lamb. And if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck 
And all the firstborn of man among thy children shalt thou redeem. Notice that. Isn't that something? There's a specific law for this little colt. It must either be redeemed with a lamb or what? You go out and run it through with a spear or, or stone it? No. There's something specific you have to do for that little, that firstling of the ass. You have to break his neck. You either, you either redeem it with a lamb or you break his neck. What is that, what's that all about? I don't know all the details, but I tell you what it reminds me of. You don't have to turn there, but if you look over in Deuteronomy, the 31st chapter, Moses is restating, he's been restating the law to him, and now he's kind of summing it all up. And he's saying, okay, I'm setting this before you. Here's the law. You better keep it. You say you're going to. But then he says in verse 27, he, 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 he says, <laughs> He says, you better be careful about what you're promising to do because he said, I know thy rebellion and thy stiff neck. You ever, you remember the times he talked about the Jews as a stiff-necked people. His people are a stiff-necked people. He, he, uh, Jeremiah, in admonishing uh, Judah for not observing the Sabbath over in the 17th chapter there of Jeremiah, he talks about how they made their neck stiff. In other words, they, they, they were disobedient. And not just any kind of disobedience. They were prideful. They were obstinate. They didn't just, they didn't just disobey and then go on their way. They, they sort of sold up and they, they made their neck stiff. It's like you, you see these, uh, these uh, uh, linebackers you know, that, are, that are out there uh, in, in our football games. And, and here comes the running back. They come toward them and they... They sort of get down in a crouch so that they can't be moved when they're running back. They can tackle the running back instead of the running back knocking them down. They can knock him down because they have, they have stiffened up. And that's what he's saying here. God's people have always been considered a stiff-necked people. Listen, beloved, that doesn't just apply to the Jews. That applies to you and me as well. You ever noticed yourself being, uh, somebody tells you what to do? So, well, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I don't like being told what to do. I like to, I like to sew up. I like to just sort of, you know, sort of flex my muscles. I don't have many anymore, but I, I, back when I had muscles, I like to flex them and say, you're not going to tell me what to do, you know? That's the way we are. That's the way children are. Children don't like to be told what to do. You don't have to teach them to be stubborn, do you? You have to teach them how to not be stubborn. Beloved, this, this people of God, the people of God throughout all generations in our natural selves are a stiff-necked people. Guess what? The firstling of this little donkey had to either be redeemed with a lamb or have his neck broken. Isn't that amazing? I believe there's some important gospel symbolism there. We'll come back to that in a minute. Because I want to also point out something else about this little, this little colt. Notice that he said, in, back over in Mark, the 11th chapter, and the second verse, he said, you're going to find a colt tied there whereon never man sat. Never man. Again, there's nothing in the Bible just to take up space. You can say that and say, hmm, that's interesting, and then go on. But I believe there's some, something important for us to get right here. <coughs> Let me ask you a question. I, I know some of you have experience with horses, and, and, and you know this is not a horse. This is a little donkey, but still, they're of the same family, closely related. 
What happens when you try to march up to an unbroken colt and just jump up on his back and try to ride him? Isn't that what makes for good cowboy movies? See them breaking a horse, and don't don't they seem? What I I'm not a I'm not a horseman, but I don't have to be a horseman to understand that you don't go jumping on a horse that's never been ridden and expect to be able to ride it. What we see is that in those situations, that's the best way I know of to get hurt if you're working around horses. I mean, it's kind of like the bull riding you see in, on the rodeos. Think about, you know, just expand it out beyond just horses and donkeys and those kinds of animals. Think about trying to ride a horse, ride a, ride a, a, a bull. <laughs> you can't just walk up to them and get on them. They'll throw you. But look at verse 7. Look at verse 7 here. This coat whereon never man sat, that had been tied up. They tied, it was tied there for a reason. It was tied there because if they didn't tie it, it wouldn't stay there. It wasn't a tame colt, you see. But notice this colt, verse 7, they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him and he sat upon him. Now, think about this also. You can take a broken horse, one that's been broken already, that's able to be ridden, and you can present all kinds of activity and noise and hullabaloo to him. And, and what happens? They get spooked. And, you know, you have to be careful. I remember, I remember in Mule Day, it always, Brother Glendon always makes me nervous when they ride those horses down through, down through the main street there, and there'd be crowds thronging around. And sometimes... Uh, I can remember one year particularly, there was this horse that got spooked and he almost got away from the rider. Just That was a horse they'd been riding. It had already been broken, but yet in the face of all of the, all of the noise and activity, it got spooked and nearly ran away. Can you imagine at Mule Day when somebody's riding a horse or a donkey like this down through the, uh, the main street, if somebody ran out there and threw garments on him and threw things down in front of him and started waving palms at him, palm fronds at him, can you imagine how, <laughs> how big a disaster that could be? But look at this. They brought the colt to Jesus, cast their garments on him, and he sat on him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. And they that were told in Matthew was a multitude, it was a great multitude. They that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Do you, know, do you see what we don't find here? We don't find that anybody had to hold the colt. We don't find that the colt got spooked. All we read about is that Jesus sat upon him. There was a lot of noise and a lot of activity in this untamed colt. But guess what? Jesus tamed. Jesus tamed. Well, guess what else, beloved? Jesus tamed you. Amen. Jesus tamed you, beloved. Let me, you know, there's a verse that I, and I, I heard Brother Sonny Piles preach on this. I ought to give that disclaimer uh, anyway. I heard Brother Sonny Piles preach along this line one time, and he, he referenced a verse 
in Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 3. This is what it says. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the ass, and a rod for the fool's back. Notice what he says there. He says you can whip a horse. You can whip a horse and make him go where you want him to go, but you got to ride a donkey. you got to ride him. It has to have a bridle for him. You know, you know what, beloved? <laughs> the preachers of this world can threaten hellfire and damnation. They can tell scary stories all day long, but it won't tame one single one of the wild reprobates of this world. It won't tame the human nature one bit. You can threaten with hellfire and damnation. You can, uh, you can tell tales about how if you walk out of this building without accepting Jesus or without making the right decision, you may get killed in a car wreck and go directly to hell. You can threaten them all day long. You can whip them all day long, but it won't do a bit of good. Because beloved, you're like the little wild donkeys of this world. You've got to be ridden. You got to be ridden, beloved. Guess what? This little colt was tamed. He was he walked meekly into Jerusalem with Jesus on his back. You know what? <laughs> when Jesus gets on your back, it'll calm you down and tame you as well. <laughs> that's that's what that's what we see here. Tamed and subdued by the Lamb of God Himself. Now, something else about this encounter, as we sort of bring this to a close, about this account, that's important, I believe. In verse 4, it says that when they found the colt, he was tied by the door in a place where two ways met. In a place where two ways met. Isn't it true, beloved, that whenever there's an encounter with Christ, it's at a place where two ways meet? Think about it in regeneration. We've already seen that this little colt had its mother's nature. It was a wild colt. It would, it would not have submitted for somebody else to sit down upon him. Uh, he was like all the other colts out there. We find no evidence that it was any different than any other colt. He didn't say go find a tame colt. He didn't say go find some colt that's uh, got a meek nature or that's old and broken down. He said, you're going to find a little colt that's tied there and no man has ever sat upon it. And it's in a place where two ways met. Beloved, that's where you are. When the Lord comes to you in regeneration, let me tell you, beloved, two ways meet there. In Romans chapter 6, chapter 8 rather, in verse 6, listen to this. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Sounds like two different ways, doesn't it? Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Beloved, if all you are is in the flesh, you cannot please God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. Without Christ, before Christ comes to you in regeneration, you're going one way. 
But when Christ comes to you in regeneration, two ways meet. Another way is brought to bear. Uh, Jesus tells Nicodemus, he said, Nicodemus, uh, uh, marvel not. He said, you must be born again. Verily I say unto you, except a man be born again. And that is literally means born from above. In verse 3 of John chapter 3, he said, except a man be born from above, be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Down in about verse 6, he says that uh, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Beloved, he's talking about the same thing. Those are just three three different uh, adjectives or three different descriptions for the same thing, which is the new birth, which comes from above and is through the Spirit, beloved. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3 tells us what we were before the new birth. It said, in time past, you walked according to the course of this world. You were on a path. You were on a way. That word way means a road. <laughs> you were on a certain road. He said, you were walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. You were doing according to the lusts of your flesh. You were on one way, but oh, when Jesus comes on the scene in regeneration, two ways meet. <laughs> Another way is brought to bear, you see. And it wasn't a way that you chose. It wasn't a way that you found. Jesus had to find you. Jesus had to bring it. Because <laughs> in your flesh, you're going one way. But when Jesus comes on the scene in regeneration, He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh one way. Oh, but that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. The second way. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. He said, it's like the wind, Nicodemus. It blows where it listeth. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whither it cometh or whither it goeth. So is everyone that's born of the Spirit. See, when you have an encounter with Jesus in regeneration, two ways made. Your way was fine for you before then, but now Jesus it's made you into a new creature. He tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. A new creature. Galatians, Paul tells us in chapter 6 and verse 15, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. Nothing you do in this world, see, matters. You're on your own way, but a new creature. That's the second way. See, whenever there's an encounter with Christ, it's a, at a place where two ways meet in regeneration. It's also two ways meet when it comes to discipleship, right? Two ways meet when it comes to discipleship. Over in Galatians chapter 5 and verse uh, 16, he said, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now he's talking to some people that already have two ways within them. They've already been born again. So he says, you need to walk in one way and neglect the other way, forsake the other way. Walk in the spirit. Don't fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other. So you cannot do the things that you would. Oh, when it comes to your discipleship, child of God, if you would have an encounter with Christ as a born-again child of God already, if you would encounter Him in discipleship, if you would follow Him in discipleship, you're always going to find it's a place where two ways meet. But the buddy was talking this morning about our conversation about what happens when he and I drop something nowadays. I'm not going to go into the details. You can ask me later, but it's not pretty. Probably the one thing, as I've said before from this pulpit, is probably the one thing that makes me matter than anything else. 
When I'm, you know, I could pick this. I'm, I'm scared to do it. I'm not going to do it. I seem to pick up this cup here, but I can pick. I, I was holding a cup the other day uh, that was empty, thank goodness, and it just—it's like my my fingers just involuntarily open and it fell. And I'm like, you know, my first thing that came to my mind wasn't Hosanna to the King. <laughs> it was something a lot worse than that. But I had a choice, you see. I had a choice at that moment. Two ways met. And I had a choice, and too often I go the wrong way, but beloved, if I would follow Jesus in discipleship, I'm at a point where two ways meet. And let me tell you, you're never going to get far enough down the spiritual way that the whole carnal way is not going to jump up to bite you every once in a while. Right. You're always going to have to struggle with that. <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you. But just understand, it's going to be at a place where two ways meet. You know, that's the way it is in the kingdom, isn't it? Luke's gospel, the 16th chapter and the 16th verse tells us that the law and the prophets were until John, but since then the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is preached. And every man waltzes into it, just kind of meanders into it, kind of happens upon it. No, beloved, every man presseth into it. Presseth. And you know why you've got to press? You know why? <laughs> I'm, not gonna, I'm not asking for a show of hands and I'm not asking for testimonies here, Okay. But I want you to think about this. How easy was it to come to church tonight? How easy was it? Was it as easy for you as it was for me? Sitting there in my warm house, just, you know, watching a football game or something on TV? Boy, it had been easy to stay home, wouldn't it? It would have been a lot easier than to have to go sit here and this, you know, get up and get out into the cold and go go down here and in the flesh you're thinking i gotta go sit there for listen to well you know i like to talk but you might not like to hear me as much as i like to talk so you know here here the preacher preaching up there you know well it's not easy you know what you had to do to get here tonight you had to press into the kingdom we don't have brother buddy and brother ralph back there or brother bob or somebody at these doors keeping you out you know that's not what he's talking about what he's talking about though is you've got to press against yourself I'm my biggest enemy. You're not my enemies. I love seeing you. I love being here with you, but I am my enemy and I have to press into the kingdom. And I'll tell you something else. Once we come into the kingdom, when we're in the church, two ways often meet, don't they? You know what I'm talking about. We built this church, this building, not too long. We went through about a two-year process building this building. I say we. I'll take credit, Brother Bob. Brother Bob and Brother Glendon built this building, but you know what I'm talking about. As a church, we built this building, and we had to make decisions. It would have been so easy to take the path of I want what I want as opposed to putting that way down and taking the path of I want to put myself down and do what others want. But you know, that's what happened in this church. We didn't always agree, but we don't have... As far as I know, Brother Buddy, nobody's left over the color of the carpet or the color of the walls or whatever else you may think about. You see, when we come to the kingdom of God, every time we enter into the Lord's house, we've got two choices. We can act like the wild little donkeys of the world, or we can live like the sheep that we are. So what about all this? Let's, let's bring this to a close tonight. Jesus didn't ride into Jerusalem on a fine war horse, some great steed. He'll do that one day. 
He'll come back one day as a King of kings and Lord of lords. But he rode into Jerusalem on a lowly little donkey. He rode into Jerusalem on this prophesied animal. And you remember what we said about this, this little donkey? You remember what it said? In order, for the, in order for the firstling of an ass to be redeemed, what had to happen? A lamb had to die. I want you to think about this picture here. Get this picture in your mind tonight as we bring this to a close. This little colt riding meekly into Jerusalem with a lamb, capital L, on his back. This lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, was going up to Jerusalem to die. He was going to lay down his life for the wild little colts of this world. Beloved, we are this little colt. One or the other would have had to die in the Old Testament. Either the firstling of the ass had to have his neck broken or a lamb had to be put to death. Beloved, one or the other has to die. Either us throughout eternity paying on our sins for we never truly could pay for them or the Lord Jesus Christ had to die on Calvary for the sins of every single one of his children. Just like those wild little colts, those wild little donkeys of the world. Beloved, that's where we were. And we had to be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. What a picture this is as he rides into Jerusalem on the final leg of his journey to Calvary. May the Lord bless us to see him as the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.